Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. together love to celebrate together and uh, it's been a uh, I've been in this church for I think eight years now and it has been um, and have been working on staff here for six years um, I was born in Joburg moved down to Cape Town when I was about 13 and have just seen the favor and just the life of God in amazing ways in this place and just seeing new people added people walking in the doors having the privilege of introducing myself to new people in this house every Sunday is an incredible thing. Um, and we really love Jesus. We really want to pioneer and, and move forward. I'm not going to be long this morning. Um, this is my wife, Kate. If you guys haven't met her, she's very kind. Um, I'm going to say my wife, Kate. I'll say it again. Um, never gets old. Um, but it really has been amazing. We've been married now for a month and a half. She has told me I'm the best husband she's ever had. Um, and so, so I feel like I'm doing really, really well. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun and we, we, we love doing life together with people and, and I love community. And this morning we continue on with a series. I'm going to jump straight into it just for time's sake, but we continue on with a series called Move the Mountains. And, and this is not just a preaching series that we're doing, but it is a, a vision statement that we have made as a church for this year. And, and I believe it's not just for this year. I believe it will be for many, many years to come as we trust God and put faith in this community and have faith in our hearts as individuals to see the kingdom of heaven break in, in Cape Town, to see the kingdom of heaven break in, in your workplace, in your school, in your marriage, in your family. And the scripture that we have kind of hinged this on is Matthew, Matthew 17, 20. It says this, the, the, the disciples are asking Jesus, why are we not able to cast out this demon? And he says, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know when last you tried to move Table Mountain by talking to it. I don't know when last you tried. Um, I have tried once or twice. It didn't work. Um, But we're growing and we're learning, which is good. But uh, I really believe that as we endeavor on this series of Move the Mountains, this scripture, Jesus is doing two things. One, he is giving a subtle kind of rebuke. uh, Hey, you can't do the things of God without having faith in me. That's what he's saying. He's saying you cannot hope to affect the world and move the kingdom of God forward without faith in Jesus. And I think so many people can very quickly slip into, because church is awesome. You get friends. That's why I came to church. I needed friends. You get friends. You get um, an amazing community that comes around you. All of these amazing things. And church can be incredible in that regard. But I believe in this moment, Jesus is saying, guys, you need faith in me. You need faith in me to see the kingdom of God move. And so he gives a subtle rebuke. He says, because you don't have faith. And then he goes, but I want to tell you, if you have faith in me, Mountains will move. Mountains will move. And I really believe this morning that God is going to put courage in our hearts to see mountains move, to see lives transformed, to see people changed. And uh, it's not just a preaching series. It's not just a cool catchphrase that a, a church leadership has come up with. It is a statement of faith because we are believing God for more this year. We are believing God for a year of radical faith. Crazy, big, wild, life-changing, marriage-altering, city-moving faith. 
And I believe that this community is going to do that. I don't know about you, but I feel like that deserves an amen. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Um, I want to see marriages restored. I want to see people healed. I want to see salvation come. And we're going to get a bit more into that. I want to see people who are in the darkest of places set free of depression, anxiety, mental illness. I want to see people who don't have, have never walked in their life walk into this church and stand up out of wheelchairs. Not because we're a cool church. Not because we are, think we're good at anything. But because we serve an incredible Jesus. That is my desire and passion. And, and this is a, I have a, a very small amount of this happening in my life right now. But I'm going, God, this year, would you give me faith for more? This year, would you put more in me? And this morning, I, I want to speak specifically around having faith to see the mountain of salvation move in people's lives. I want to speak specifically around how we, as the church, are called first and foremost to see salvation come to this city, to this nation, and to the world. That is what the church is designed to do. The Bible is so clear. It says, go out and make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Jesus is so clear. He says, you will be my witnesses. He sends the church out. He said, actually, this is awesome. We can pray together. We can spend time together. But there is a call to see people who do not know the hope of the world come to know the hope of the world. And I am so, so passionate about this. I believe, as uh, Mark said, we, last week we preached on healing. And, and Mark made this incredible statement. He was speaking about healing and seeing sickness go and all of these things go. But he made this statement. He said, salvation is the greatest miracle we will ever see. Because it takes a dead man and brings him to life. It takes a dead man and brings him to life. I really believe that Jesus is placing something in us this morning and ongoingly in this series to trust Him for radical salvations. I want to I put a photograph up very quickly of a, a moment this Monday and um, Mike and Warren are sitting over there. Kurt's not here today, but um, I just want to tell this story because at the beginning of the year I said to God, I want to lead people to the Lord. Because very much of last year I didn't see many of those opportunities. And, I, and uh, for me I was going, God, I want to see people come to you. And I want to, I want to do that. I don't, I'm not going to wait for the preacher to do that. I want to do that. And that man over there, Mike, is over there. He's sitting over there. He uh, had an encounter with God recently. Has been radically moved by Jesus. He brought his son Warren to church two Sundays ago. I met with Warren on that Thursday, and we sat together and we spoke about Jesus. And in that moment, that incredible young man decided to commit his life to Christ. So that Thursday, salvation, the power of God, it was an incredible moment. Then that Sunday, Warren brought his friend Kurt, who is the very tall guy over there, um, to, to church on Sunday night. A man preached on healing. We prayed for healing, and he stood over there, and I walked up to him, and we prayed with Warren, and then I turned around, and I said to him, today you're coming home. And he broke down weeping as the Spirit of God gripped hold of him. Today you're coming home. And I believe that Jesus is calling us as a church to declare over people's lives, today you are coming home. Because we serve it. And then, on, uh, the, and then that Sunday he committed his life. We arranged that Monday afternoon we went to, to Small Bay and we baptized these two incredible young men. And, and just, that's Acts stuff for me. That's the book of Acts stuff. It's people committing their lives to God, the next day getting baptized and running for Jesus. Now really, I want to celebrate. Can we celebrate these guys? We love you guys. Mark, Warren. I want to celebrate this stuff. Um, 
And I want to tell you, a, a, just a, for a very brief moment, a little bit of my salvation story. I, I do not come, and I've told this before, but I, I believe that our stories are so powerful. I come from a completely unchurched background. My parents never went to church. My dad still doesn't go to church. Um, we never walked into church. We probably went to a church for one or two funerals in my whole childhood. Um, and so it, it was a completely foreign thing to me. And I, I remember hitting a certain stage in my teenage years where our life was a little bit challenging. Circumstances had, had gotten the better of us a little bit. And so life was tough. And there was this man who um, was a, a, um, an LO teacher in our school. And he um, it was a really nice guy. He was a surfer. You know, he had a cool bag on and he wore cool shirts. I was like, that's cool. I'm talk to him. Um, so wear a cool shirt. No, so, and, um, but I just remember I got to, that's a good point. Um, write that down. Um, I got to school and things were challenging and my heart was in knots and, and all sorts of things were going on. I won't go into detail, but I remember going to him and I, I said to him, Chris, can we chat at break? Um, and he was our LO teacher, but also a youth pastor in, in Melkmore Strand. And he said to me, sure. And so we sat down at break. Break is 15 minutes and you've got to eat. So we had to get through this quickly. And I remember sitting down with him. I explained a little bit of my story. Um, and he just looked at me and he said to me, Tyler, I cannot fix your problem. I cannot solve your problem. I actually really don't have answers for you. But what I can tell you is that you need God. And I was like, thank you so much. That helps me. does not help me at all. I was like, I just want a solution to my problem. And he said, you need God. And I remember he said to me, come to youth on Friday night. And I remember I was, I think I was 15 years old. Um, I walked, I wasn't cool at that stage. So I borrowed my, my cousin's jeans that were way too big for me. Um, and so I walked in and you know, as you do when you're 13, you walk with a bit of a swagger. It actually just looks stupid. But, um, and so you like walk. I was like, how's it? How's it, guys? How's it? But I, so there was a pool table and there was a TV and there was a table, tennis table. I was like, ooh, this place is cool. Um, and I remember going in and I was a little bit like, and lots of people and a new school. I just moved from Joburg and we'd gone to high school, kind of big. And I remember walking and I sat right at the back as one does when you first go to church um, and sat right in the back row. And I just looked up and I had my hands um, together and I just watched. And I saw this group of about, it was 140 kids in this youth ministry, go to the front, and I saw them start to worship. And I remember, I remember it as clear as day. I just looked at it and I said, I want that. I want that. Whatever they have, whatever is going on there, whatever, for whatever reason they are jumping up and down, I want that. Yeah. And I remember at the back of that hall, I slowly but surely, I was like, my mate just sitting next to me, literally about this tall, looking at me like I was very weird. He had just come for the girls. I was there for Jesus. Um, and, and so we, and he was, I was holding my, my pants, and then I was like, whoa, this is fun. And I remember I was like, and I started to sing the song, and then my pants fell down. As so I pulled them back up very quickly, I was like, I'm never using my cousin's jeans again. But then I remember going back over and over again. I didn't understand it completely. And I slowly but surely learned, and people came around me. That's why community is so valuable. People came around me, and they started to show me Jesus. But I saw something that I wanted. And I believe that the church is called to present Christ to a world that is broken and hurting. We are called to present Jesus. And when they see it, they will go, I want that, and then we help them to Him. That is our, our, the call of the church. If we want a city to come to know God, we need an army of believers to start believing that God is going to do something radical in our city. The Bible doesn't call us believers by accident. We are called to believe, have faith, that God wants to do something radical in this city. Father God, I pray this morning as, we, as I speak, 
as we, as we hear your word, God, and as we dig in, I pray, Father, that you would not simply, uh, that our ears would not simply be tickled, God, but that our hearts would be changed. I pray, Father, as we read your word, that you would transform us from the inside out, God. I pray, Father, that as we leave this place today, there would be a burning desire in the hearts of your people to see salvation come to this city. And I pray, Father, that you would give us some practical ways to see that come to fruition, Father. Would you work in us this morning, God? We trust you, King Jesus. Amen. We've been working through the book of Acts, and, and I'm going to jump out of Acts slightly, but uh, I think Acts is this radical narrative of, of the power of God breaking into life after life after life. But then one of the men who gets saved in the book of Acts and, and encounters God, and, and so we're going to read this scripture, and I really believe uh, he's writing to a young man. His name is Paul, and this scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7, I love it. It is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. It says this, I urge you then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. And uh, just a sidebar, I've been, as I read the scripture, I was convicted to pray for our government. Yeah, okay, God, I want to pray for our government. I don't want to moan about our government because South Africans are good at moaning. But I believe that the church is called to pray for those who have authority. It's just a sidebar. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Jesus, the Father in heaven, wants people to get saved. He has a desire in his heart to use the church to see, the, the Bible puts it like this, the manifold wisdom of God, the power of heaven to come to earth. And so this morning, I just want to run through three simple points that I believe is going to open this up for us. The first point is this. He has finished it. He has finished it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. We cannot earn it. We simply receive it because we serve a good God. We simply receive it. If we try to earn salvation, we remove the power from the cross. The moment we try and strive and, and, and um, fulfill tick boxes to earn the favor of God, what we are saying is, Jesus, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. But if you read the Old Testament, it is a narrative of men and women who tried to do it on their own, and they could not. And so what does the Father do? He sends His Son. His only begotten son. He sends him as a gift to mankind and says, through this man you will receive salvation. Through this man you will be reconciled to the Father. I want to say to you this morning that your salvation and the salvation that you carry in you for others is a gift from God. It cannot be earned. It is a gift. It is completely perfect. So often, I know in the, in the world that we live in, we love a re-gift. 
You know when someone gives you a t-shirt for Christmas and you go, yeah, it's orange. Um, and you're like, okay. And you're like, I don't really like this, but I'll keep it in my cupboard because you know they tear the tag off so you can't take it back. Um, it's not like I've tried to do that. Um, and, and you know, we love a re-gift. We put it in there and we try it on and, and we oh, it doesn't really work. And so we keep it in the cupboard until the next birthday and then we hand it over to someone. And, and you know, the reality is people know when they get a re-gift. They know. Still smells a little bit like your deodorant. Um, the, the tag's been torn off twice because you're just overcompensating a little bit, and it's just been folded very neatly, but there's still those cupboard creases. You know, we know when something is counterfeit. We know that reality, and I want to say to you that salvation is a gift given by God, yeah. and it is completely perfect. There is no darkness, there is no brokenness, there is no area in which the salvation of Jesus Christ fails. It is perfect in every way, because Jesus was perfect in every way on that cross. So when you present someone with the gospel, you are presenting them with a perfect gift. You are saying, this gift I give to you, it is the only one you need. It will satisfy every craving and desire. And I really believe that God is wanting to put something in us. Number one, it is a gift. Number two, it is perfect. Number three, he did all the work. You did none of it. He did all the work. You did none of it. It is his job to save. It is our job to believe. It is his job to save. It is our job to believe. The safety and security in knowing that Jesus finished it all, it is the most freeing thing imaginable. Why? Because number one, I live in complete freedom because actually I could not do it, but he did it for me. And then when I step into a space where I want to tell somebody about the gospel, I'm presenting a Jesus that has done it all. There is no striving. There is no trying to reach. And then lastly, it was his plan, not ours. You know, we are, I think as human beings, we are plan makers. When stuff gets tough, we so quickly start making plans. We start taking out this credit card, or we start doing this thing, or selling this car, or trying to get this, or, or sort our worlds out. And I think sometimes in our lives, we, we get so caught up in, I'm going to make a plan, that we forget that when we are in Christ, he has made the plan. He has made it perfect. Salvation was not something that humanity conjured up. It was something that the Father predestined before the world was created. The reason I say these things is because we need to have a confidence in the salvation which we minister. We have to be confident in it. You know, when I approach somebody and I want to tell them about Jesus, there needs to be a confidence in me that goes, I know that this works. Why? Because I've experienced it. But secondly, because I have a theology of it. Because what we believe determines how we act. And so when we are confident in Christ, we act confident in Christ. When we are confident in His saving work, we act confident in His saving work. When we enter a situation that is broken and there is turmoil and there is hurt, actually I can stand there confidently and go, I don't have a solution. But Jesus. That is what it means to have the gospel inside of us. And I, I really believe that as, as we enter into Easter, that uh, this is a time for us to potentially remember and potentially realign our thinking. Because I think for many of us, we, we might have preconceptions about the cross and about Jesus' resurrection that are actually inhibiting us from preaching the gospel. And sometimes we have to ask God and say, will you realign my thinking? Will you get my thinking right, God, so that I can see this world come to know Jesus?
Easter is such an incredible opportunity to see people come to know God. We must never forget that we never deserved it, yet we still received it. Grace means unmerited favor. We place a little bit of faith in Jesus and he pours his unmerited favor over our lives. I don't know about you, but I want every person in this world to experience the unmerited favor of God. There is nothing more glorious. Number one, he has finished it. Number two, he has appointed us. See, the, there's this incredible verse in that, in that scripture in 1 Timothy. It says, and for this pur- purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And that verse, I was appointed a herald. I believe two things. Salvation is a position from which we live. We are saved. If you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to say to you, he wants to know you. He died on a cross so that he could have a relationship with you. Salvation is a position from which we live, but it is also a purpose to which we are called. It is a position from which we live. I am saved. I am in Christ. But that position calls us to a purpose. And I believe that there are two key words that this scripture uses and that the Bible uses. Is number one, heralds. And for many of us, we don't use the terminology herald very often anymore. But it's an amazing word. It means an official who is employed to make proclamations or carry messages. A herald is an official, a person who is employed to make proclamations and carry messages. We as the church are called by Jesus to make proclamations and carry his message. That is the call of the church. And I believe there are two ways in which we become the message bearers of the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. Because if we believe that salvation is the greatest miracle, then it is the miracle that we must fight the most for. That is why it is so important that we believe right. And I believe there's two ways we herald. We herald in private and we herald in public. I believe that we are called to herald the gospel in private. And what I mean by that is carry the message deep in your heart. You know, the Bible in in, in Matthew, it gives us two secret weapons of the kingdom. Two secret weapons. Jesus, the Father says, do these things in private. One is pray and two is fast. They are secret weapons given to the church to herald the gospel. Um, we, and every twice a year, we fast as a church. And, and for the last two years, uh, since we've um, been dating and married, and even before that, every time we fast, one of the key things that I fast for is my father's salvation. Because he doesn't know God. And I believe that Jesus calls us as the church to fast, not because we are going to gain favor with God, but because it helps us see Jesus. It helps us contend. So number one, fasting. And number two, prayer. We have to be in a place of praying in private so that when the moment comes to herald in public, the power of God is with us. Prayer incites the power of God. Herald in private and then herald in public. And you know, sometimes I think we make this very complicated. We make heralding Jesus very complicated. I want to say to you, it is incredibly simple. To preach, and and when I say preach the gospel, I simply mean share the gospel with your life. We are not, I don't, I don't necessarily advocate walking into your office on a Sunday morning, jumping up on a block and going, everybody, I've got something to tell you. I really don't advocate that you do that. Because people, maybe they will get saved if you've got faith in your heart. But nine out of ten times, I think they're probably just going to look at you and go, that is a little bit strange. 
I believe that we are called to preach the gospel with our lives. And number one, the, one of the ways we do that is with your story. Wally Gersmeyer, who led this church for many, many years, he, he would always say that when you want to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to personalize it. When you share with somebody what Jesus has done in your life, it creates a platform for Jesus to do the same in theirs. When you share with somebody what Jesus has done in your life, it creates a platform for Him to do it in theirs. So can I ask you, if you are serious about seeing people come to know God, write your story down. And I want to dispel the myth that your story has to be super hectic or intense or or any of those things to be effective for God. Because actually, if we believe that salvation is the greatest miracle, then salvation in any shape or form is a miracle. And a miracle needs to be told to the world. In Acts 3, it tells the story of a blind beggar at a gate. The, um, Peter and John go to him. They pray for him. He, he, his sight is restored. What is the first thing he does? He jumps up. He runs into the place of worship. And he, and he starts to scream and shout and celebrate what God has done. Why is it that when people get healed, we do that? But when people get saved, we just, oh, well done. You know, good, good job, man. Good job. No! It is a miracle of epic proportions. We are called to tell the world about it. I want to say to you that Christ in you is the most powerful weapon the world has ever seen. And I'm shouting this because I believe it, not because I'm angry. (laughs) Herald in public, tell your story. And then secondly, be able to share the gospel with someone else. And I don't mean preach through the whole Bible. I don't mean understand everything about God. I very simply mean acquire the ability to tell somebody about the resurrected Jesus. Go, And maybe that requires us as a church to do a little bit of work. Maybe it requires us to go and read up on some things. Maybe it requires you, here, and we have something called Fast Track, and part of our Fast Track, it's on our website, you can go get it, while he sits and he speaks through how to share the gospel. Because if we are believers in Christ, we are called to share it. And like I said, it doesn't need to be complicated. But actually, when you mix your story, your testimony of God's grace, with the power and the, the, the privilege of sharing the gospel, we start to see this city change. We are called to be heralds in public. And then lastly, we are called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors is another word. It's similar to herald, but an ambassador is a little bit different. He does not proclaim a message. He represents it. So when uh, we have ambassadors in our nation, we have American ambassadors, we have um, Chinese ambassadors, and what they do is they are the representatives of their homeland, of their country. We as ambassadors in Christ are representatives of Jesus. So that means that the way that we live our lives, it tells a story of who Jesus is. And so for some of you, you may be sitting out, and I want to say, if you've just given your life to Christ, or you've been a Christian for 30 years, we are always on a journey. We are always becoming more like Jesus. But I believe that as ambassadors of Christ, we are called to represent Jesus. You know, the Bible uses a terminology, it says, be above reproach. Be above reproach. It's not just referring to leaders. It is referring to believers. And the reason that we endeavor to be above reproach is because we live before a watching world. And so actually when we, when we, and and like I I, want to always that caveat, we are on a journey. But I believe that we need to constantly be asking Jesus, make me more like you. 
Renew my mind. Renew my thinking. Change the way I act. Why? Because when we represent Christ well, we create an atmosphere for people to get saved. And that's what we want to see happen. We create an atmosphere for people to get saved. You are a representative of Christ and you are a herald of Christ. You are called to show the world Jesus and tell the world about Jesus. Number one, he has finished it. Number two, he has appointed us. And number three, he has set the time. And this for me in, uh, in Acts 1 verse 6 to 7, it says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or dates. I want to say to you this morning that God is much bigger than you could ever imagine. God is much bigger than you could ever imagine. The Bible says that God is outside of time. The Bible says that he understands everything. The Bible says that he was there before the creation of the world. And I believe that as Christians, we need to acquire a bigger view of God. You know, and I passionately believe in and advocate the preaching of of identity and, and you and God and you and the Father. It is so important that we understand that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. But the Bible also talks about the fear of God. And that is not a, a, I am petrified of God. I think that's how some of the world live. They don't even want to engage the gospel because they are so scared of the big man upstairs. No, it is not a fear. It is a reverence. It is a, it is a looking at God in the scriptures and going, God, you blow my mind. You are so much bigger than I could ever understand. We spoke about healing last week. And one of the keys when we pray for healing is understanding that God is in control. And I think when we trust for people's salvation, we have to understand that God is in control. Because otherwise, we start, number one, to try and do it in our own efforts, or number two, we lose steam. You know, as, as, as people, and I am so incredibly guilty of this, ask anyone I work for, I am so good at starting things. You know, January comes, first January, like, I'm going to the gym. But it's a public holiday today, so I'll start on the second. And you know, we are so good at starting stuff. We're like, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to buy a Nutri-Bullet and start making smoothies every morning. But then all of a sudden, you're literally just mixing sweets together and you're drinking that. And like you're like, I'm going to start these things and I'm going to gym and I'm going to do all that. And we are so good at starting stuff. But the Bible calls us to longevity. It calls us to fight the good fight. It calls us to a constant battling and barraging and going, God, I'm going to keep fighting for this thing. I believe that Jesus is calling us to keep fighting. You know, you may hear this sermon this morning and you'll go, yes, I want my whole family to get saved. And that is, a, that is a very, very good thing to trust for. But in a week's time, when you have an argument with your family, you know, oh, those people, you know. But actually, no, Jesus is calling you to have his mind about people. And to, to have longevity in the trusting him with these things. My dad is not a Christian. He lives in Joburg. And two or three years ago, I invited him down to come and watch me preach. And I thought, this is going to be the moment. He's going to hear the gospel from his son. And he's going to get saved. And I was so amped. And he came down. And he came to church in a suit. And everyone else was in shorts. Um, and so he walked in. And he doesn't know church. He doesn't know these things. He arrived. He listened. He got up. He left. I asked him, how was it? He said, fine. 
I was like, okay. That didn't happen this time. And then I've had a countless, my dad comes and visits from time to time. I go up there sometimes. Every time I'm there, I'll invite him to church. Can I tell you more often than not, he says no. But I want to, in my heart, have the longevity to consistently trust God to see him come to know him. Never stop believing, even when the going gets tough. You know, the, the Bible is very clear. Emotions are a good thing, but they are not the thing. The Bible actually calls us to master our emotions. And so when we are trusting for friends and family members to get saved, because, you know, salvation is an amazing thing when it is a high-up concept. But it becomes a real thing when it is people's names and people's lives that we are trusting for. When it's your mom and your dad, your sister, your brother, your daughter, your son, your work colleague who you've known for years, then it becomes real. And I want to say never stop believing even when the going gets tough. You know, just because you have an argument with a family member doesn't mean you must stop praying for them. Just because you're having a tough time with them doesn't mean you must stop trusting for God to break into their world. That is what we are called to do. Never stop believing. Never stop praying. Charles Spurgeon said this amazing quote. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer is that nerve that moves God. And I don't know about you, but I want the muscle of God behind me. I want the muscle of God to break into people's lives. I want the muscle of God to, to get into the muck and mire of people's worlds and rip them out of that. But I've got to pray. <laughs> There's a caveat to that. You've got to pray. Jesus uses our prayers. It is a display of faith. Never stop believing, even when the going gets tough. Never stop praying. And then I want to say this, take every opportunity. And this is where it starts to get a little bit more practical. You know, we preach about these things, and, and I want to put courage in your hearts. I want to put courage in your hearts that Jesus wants, as that scripture says in 1 Peter, He wants every man to get saved. I want to give you an understanding that actually you are a herald of the gospel. You are called to tell the gospel. But I also want, to, I want it to be practical for us. Because it is great that we leave with a, oh, I believe this, and Jesus is amazing. But then we need to start taking small steps. Taking small steps towards the big God that we believe in. So I want to say to you, never stop believing. Set out times to pray. Set out times. Actually say to yourself, um, and p different people have different ways of doing this. Some people have a, um, a, a, an alarm on their phone that says, I'm going to stop and pray. I love them. Um, Darren and Darren and Jade, where are you guys? Jade, where are you guys? There, this is my mates. I love them so much. But actually, Jade, for how long was it that you set an alarm on your phone with a bunch of friends to pray for her husband to come to know Jesus? It doesn't get more real than that. And she trusted for years. And one day, the king of heaven broke in. And now he's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> but actually, maybe it means setting an alarm on your phone. Maybe it means, and I want to say, do this in community. Grab a couple of mates. Say, hey, we're going to pray together. I have a little thing I do. Every time my dad phones me, I pray for him after he phones me. Even if it's just a short prayer. I'm saying, you don't have to get on your knees and lay out your mats. And you know, that's, you know, I think sometimes we make prayer so complicated. But actually, every time he phones me, I go, cheers, dad. Love you. Put the phone down. I go, Jesus, will you break into his life? And I, and I don't do that every time. But I'm trying to get into a rhythm of fighting for him. Maybe it's for a colleague that actually before you walk in the door at work in the morning, you go, I'm just going to pray for this person. And you do it every morning. 
And I promise you, you will see the power of God break in like you have never seen before. Because Jesus loves it when we depend on Him. I believe that when we have a heart that is totally open to God and totally dependent on Him, He is so incredibly happy. Because it gives Him space to work in our lives. Take every opportunity. Easter is a week away. Who are you inviting? Now, for some of you, you might be going, yeah, it's the church telling us to invite people to church. I want to say to you, we do this because we want to see people get saved. We plant Milneton and we send a whole team of guys and we plow resources and energy and all of those things into that congregation. Not because we want Christians to have a fun place to hang out. Yes, that's a byproduct. We want people to come to know Jesus. And so actually we have an opportunity where Easter is a time where people who generally would not walk into a church may want to engage. So I want to ask you who you're inviting. Christmas time, who are you inviting? I believe in the power of invitation. I came to know Christ because a man invited me to a meeting. And I believe we need to be able to share the gospel um, personally and privately and know how to do it ourselves. But actually there's power in invitation. When you can walk somebody into a space. Because you know what I said earlier? We are called to represent Jesus. Now imagine the, the incredible opportunity that every Sunday we have 400 Christians who all represent Jesus. You can literally just walk somebody into the space. And boom, they are seeing Jesus. We're not perfect. We don't get it right every time. But we want to see the gospel break into people's lives. Never stop praying. Never stop believing. And take every opportunity. You will be amazed what God will use. And a guy I don't know gave my dad, and I've told the story before, Faith Like Potatoes. Amangus. And my dad has read that book. My dad does not read. He's not a reader. He doesn't do that. I've literally never known my dad to read a book in my whole life. But someone gave him Faith Like Potatoes, and he's read it, and I'm sitting on the couch, and we're talking about Faith Like Potatoes. I'm like, God, you will use the most amazing things. But, and it's, it's my, the fact that I work at a church has created some of the most fascinating conversations between me and my father. The fact that you attend church will create incredible conversations between you and people. Use every opportunity. I'd love to take a moment now. I know we are just about finished, but can I ask you to close your eyes? I want to pray for us. And if you have a notebook or a pen, or, or as soon as I've prayed, I'm going to ask you to, to, to write down a name that you're going to trust for. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us to put courage in our hearts. And then you're going to take your notebook or your phone or something, and you're going to open a note, and you're going to write the name of a person that you're going to start trusting for today. And maybe it means in this moment you're going to set an alarm to pray for them every day. Maybe you're going to send them a message and invite them to Easter. So, Father, right now, I pray for this congregation, God. I pray for this incredible group of people. And I pray, Father, that you would put courage in their hearts to believe that you have finished the work and that you have called them to be heralds of the gospel, Father. I thank you that right now, in this moment, Jesus, you are gripping our hearts, Father, to see the kingdom of heaven come. Not through a preacher, God, but through every person in this room. That we are a priesthood, God. We are a group of people called to shout the name of Jesus to a world, Father. And so I pray right now, God, for each and every person in this room. This isn't a a moment of, of, of reflection. This is an activation moment, God. I pray that you would activate people's hearts. 
Where for years they have, um, where there's been a stagnation of, yeah, 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 that's cool, that's for other people. I pray right now for every person in this room, God, you would place a desire in their hearts to see people get saved. Place a desire in their hearts to see people come to know the one who brings life. Father, I pray that you would work in us, God. I pray that our ears would not simply be tickled, God, but that our hearts would be changed. Pray, God, that you would do that right now, Father. Can I ask you to take a notebook, your phone, and write down a name quickly? And then we're going to land. Because I believe sometimes there needs to be a practical outworking. And just as you do that, I, I would be remiss of me to preach about Jesus and not give this opportunity. But the gospel says, and there's this incredible scripture, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And just as we write those names down, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so this morning, I would like to extend an invitation. If you have not committed your life to Christ, we have a team up front here after the service. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to get to know your name, and we would love to introduce you to the Savior named Jesus. If you have not committed your life, all you've got to do, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved.